Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 57 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Hidden Training Program, a sports psychology book by Brian Greene. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners welcome to the marathon running podcast hi ryan hi daddy And hello to you, listener, if this is your first time tuning in. We welcome you. This is a podcast by Ryan, my husband, and myself, where we bring you content that is running-related, information by experts, stories that will motivate you, and most importantly, help you have fun with your running. If you've been listening to us ranting, rambling, and all that, we want to thank you because we've been seeing our numbers grow, and that's really exciting and rewarding. It is. So today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is what, Ryan? Running. (laughs) (laughs) What about running? I don't know. Running psychology? Yeah, I like the episodes where we have nutrition information, injury prevention, training episodes, because we're really lucky to have such great guests. But my very personal favorite is running psychology and book reviews. And today, we're going to get to do a combo of both of them. Nice. I think my favorite is probably techniques of training and learning new things. That's cool. I also like race recaps. Not my favorite, but that's okay. That is okay. That's why we have a broad variety of topics for everybody. So I had done an episode like this before, which was a book review about a running psychology book on an amazing and very well-known running book called Endure by Alex Hutchinson, which is episode 29. And that's a must listen about the human mindset and the limitation that it imposes. So basically, Alex Hutchinson said, quote, endurance is the struggle to continue against a mounting desire to stop. So I just find that so interesting because I know that when we train, we can train very hard and push and our bodies will adapt, but it's still something in your head. It's that little voice that will continue to tell you to stop, or at least in my head. Does that voice make a noise in your head too? I think the psychology of it all is really neat. I think that's so true. You know, there's, there is physical limitations, but most people never reach them because they stop at the psychological limitations. Yes, and I love that. So so for this episode, I got to talk to Brian Green, who is the author of a book called Make the Leap, Think Better, Train Better, and Run Faster. So Brian Green reached out to me and sent me a book for a review, and I dove into that book, and of course, I'm reviewing it because I really liked it, because I don't want to waste your time or my time with stuff that we don't like. I feel like it's a good book for basically you that 
is listening to this podcast because why do you listen to a running podcast? Probably because you're really interested in running, meaning you probably are also trying to improve in some areas of running. Can you tell us what you liked about the book? Yes. Yeah, so I liked the whole concept of the book. It's about the hidden training program. And that basically means that we have a formal training program, which is our runs that we do every day. But the hidden training program, quote unquote, is what we do with our lives during the week while we're not running. And there's so much that we can do to improve our running without even having to run. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of exercises you can do. And the book comes with a workbook. So you can stop reading and think about how this applies to your own life. So I feel like it's really engaging for us runners that are trying to get better. What do you mean a workbook? It's like has homework? Yeah, it's kind of like the high school workbook or college workbook where you get a concept and then it'll have exercises where you can write out how this applies to your life. So when it asks you what is important, what are things that motivate you in your life, you sit down, you think about them. And then by doing that, I feel like you can get better at that more so than when you're just reading about another person. Like you can get a better understanding of your state of mind. Exactly. So I didn't read it, but you read it, right? I read it twice and I've been working on the workbook. It sounds intriguing. I kind of want to know how he came up with the hidden training program. Perfect. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Brian Green. So I'm here with Brian Green. Welcome, Brian. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. So before we start, a quick comment, Brian, um, you provided me with a digital copy of your book, The Leap, a book on sports psychology. And even though I've gotten used to reading novels and fiction books on my iPad, this is exactly the type of book where I'm going to need to get a paper copy because it made me want to highlight stuff, underline stuff, which basically should tell you as the author that your book is really good because it makes people want to come back to it and implement it into their life. So congrats on that. Thank you very much. That's the type of feedback I definitely want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so before we hop into your book, I'd like to do a quick intro. So if you could tell our listeners who you are and how you ended up with the knowledge and authority to write this book on sports psychology. So yeah, I uh, was a former competitive runner at UCLA and I ran the long distances there, 5K, 10K, cross country. And I... I'll start with my, the origin of the book is that I was a good runner who sort of was you know on the team and traveling and and successful, but I wasn't really getting the most out of myself. And because I was a college student, I started taking classes in psychology and but more in education actually, and the theory of learning and the psychology of learning. And I took a bunch of courses in there, and they introduced to me a lot of frameworks about how high achievers think about the pro solving problems or, or how they think about challenges and overcoming them. And what I realized is that I did not uh, like follow those frameworks or those thought processes in my daily life. They really highlighted for me that I had some weaknesses in how I thought about learning and training and improvement. And um, my classes, the, the goal for the teachers were to help us become better students. But I took all that information and I started applying it to running because I, that's what I really cared about at the time was getting faster and being a better runner and, and achieving my goals for running. And when I really started to apply these frameworks, I 
engaged more in my training. I got more, I got more serious about it. I got more discipline. I believed more in, in my ability and that the results would come if I did the work. And lo and behold, I had a massive improvement and I really jumped to becoming one of the top runners. And that, that experience validated the, the frameworks and the thought processes. And then over time, even after I stopped running competitively, I found that I could apply the same frameworks to learning languages, to learning new software programs in my work, to solving many different problems that, that all fit the same pattern of needing a lot of conscious work over time in order to improve. And um, it, it basically... To, to ask why I wrote the book in the end or to get to that point is I felt like this book was what I needed to read when I was like 19 years old. And when I looked around at the books that existed, none of them were like what I wanted to write and what I thought I would benefit me as a reader. So I decided I'm going to sit down and try to write this book. That's really cool that you've experienced it and turned that into, um, into a book, in essence, something that you wanted to read that wasn't there. So let's dive into this book of yours. Um, so honestly, I told you this before when we're off the air. I felt like your book was right up there with one of my favorite books on sports psychology, Endure by Alex Hutchinson, a book that talks you know, about the physical limits that Hutchinson explores, such as uh, pain, muscle, oxygen, all that, where he basically disentangles the interplay of mind and body through this collection of short stories of men and women who've um, pushed their own limits. So we had Alex Hutchinson on for our listeners that want to listen to this interview that was um, episode 29. But for you, Brian, your book um, comes with a workbook, which makes me feel like this is something that we can implement into our daily lives or into our training. Is that what you intended it to be for, for, for runners or people that want to get better at something, I guess, particularly runners, because it's a running book, but people that want to basically have this interactive roadmap and navigate through their training? Yes, more or less. I would say, I, well, thank you, first of all, for even comparing my book to Alex, Alex Hutchinson's because, um, I, I mean, he's a great writer and he's and he, that book is incredible. So uh, the difference between my book and his and some books like his are that you know, his book is very based on the science. Like he's trying to consolidate all of the science and and kind of give us a framework for understanding what the science tells us about how our brains work. And I think of mine as being a little bit different in that it, it does rely on research that some people have done and that, I, that, I'm, that I'm using, but I'm kind of less aiming it at, at um, trying to explain how our brains work or how they affect our performance. And I'm more trying to give a very practical, tangible frameworks and different ways to think about training to just kind of make you think a little better about the work that you're doing. And that and sometimes that could be trying to shift perspective. Sometimes that could be trying to um, help you identify the different priorities and, and what should be prioritized more than others. Sometimes it's just kind of trying to um, you know add some motivation and, and tips for how you can improve your motivation or your passion for the sport. But in general, I I I really when I said I wanted to write the book for like a 19-year-old me, that's actually who I really had in mind writing the book was like a high school senior, a college freshman who who could read the book while they're competing competitively and really get the most out of themselves while they're in that in their in college or high school or something. And what's funny is um I've had a number of people read the book who are 
uh, adults, they're training, they're running, you know, triathlons or they're doing marathons and stuff. And a lot of them tell me the same thing that I want, you know, these younger runners to experience, which is that they are thinking a little differently and that, that they are getting more out of their training by applying some of the ideas. So it is universal to everyone, but it's funny that, you know, I feel like I was really aiming at a, at a, maybe an audience that, um, is a little harder to reach because, uh, you know, there's not as many high school seniors or college freshmen out buying running books. You know, I think, I feel like a lot of the people I'm reaching are adults who are, who are, um, you know, ambitious and want to get more out of their training. And, and luckily the feedback has been very good from them too, but, um, that's, what I, I guess I'm rambling a little bit. Sorry about that, but that's the difference. I think a little bit about how, like, say what Alex Hutchinson is trying to do versus what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make a very practical framework that you can pick and choose which parts of it make the most sense for you and then actually apply it directly to your training today. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, that's funny. That probably happened that you were trying to write this book for 19-year-olds or high school seniors because that's who you were when you needed to discover it most. And to put it into our frame, you know, our people, the average runners didn't do sports in high school or college. So it is now that after we're postpartum or you're, we're in our mid-30s or we want to be Q, that this concept actually becomes interesting to us, whereas before we didn't really care for it. I think so too. And I think, I think it's a real testament to, you know, like a lot, there's so many people out there who are putting so much effort into running a new marathon PR or, or getting a new, um, you know, goal, achieving a goal that they've set for themselves. And uh, there's tons of resources, but I just, I honestly, I felt like the, what I could provide was unique and different and that it was something that beyond the running, the actual, I really do believe the frameworks I have in here, they apply to way more than just running. And so it gave me a chance to sort of write to an audience of runners and who could apply them in their running and hopefully get benefits today. But then if, if, I, if, if it goes the way I hope is that they will, they will also go to work and apply those frameworks. So in their classes, they'll, they'll realize they can apply the same framework and then they'll get more out of everything else they're doing too. Very well. So let's talk about those frameworks. Um, and without giving away too much about your book, your book, I wanted to address some of the key concepts. Your book is called The Leap. And you said long-term goals are achieved by making successive leaps. And uh, you said that leaps are the result of making positive training changes. So let's talk about these leaps and the theme of your book. Uh, can you tell us how these leaps are made and why they work how they work long term, long term, and help us achieve our goals. Yes. So this is my this is the the main the first main idea in the in the book, and the first sort of framework core framework I think of is this understanding the idea of how feedback loops work. In general, a feedback loop is very simple. You have a process that you do every day, and then some portion of that process gets fed back into it the next time you're going to do it. So if you think about our daily training routine, you wake up in the morning, you do whatever your training is, and then you go to bed, you wake up the next day, you train again. If you're training today, if you're taking all the benefits you got and bringing them back into the, your workout tomorrow, you're a little bit better when you start tomorrow. If you get injured and you show up the next day injured, you're a little bit worse than you were you know, the, the day before. And this idea of the feedback loop is that you're going to repeat this cycle over and over again. If you can every day be a little bit better, it has surprisingly profound 
effects on, on how you improve over time. And there's some charts that are a little bit harder to explain, but what happens if I'm going to try to do it verbally, but if you do a feedback loop once, and let's say you improve by 1%, you don't really see any difference. And the next day you improve by 1%, you don't really see any difference. And you do this for many, many days. It doesn't really seem like you're improving very much. But those tiny 1% gains, when you look at them growing over time and they keep building and building and building, can result in a very large improvement very quickly. But it happens off in the future. It happens, uh, it could happen weeks in the future. It could happen months in the future. It takes a long time to get there because it's a really slow build. But when it really happens, your improvement shoots up very quickly. I give some examples of some runners that I've, I've, I've trained with. I give some examples of my experiences in the book. It's not that it's not like money with compounding interest on money where it just keeps going up forever because we all have limits, which are sort of our, our short-term potential for how good we can be. But that what happens is we, we improve slowly, slowly, slowly. And then when it all starts to click, we make a very rapid improvement in a short amount of time. And then it kind of slows down again and we kind of plateau. And, what, and we, we go back into this phase where we need to figure out how to create a new cycle in order to make another leap. I call this the leap cycle. I break it down into three phases called build, leap, and sustain. And when you look at your training over time, if you're consistently training well, you're going to see that your improvement typically follows these types of cycles where you feel like you're training for a long time with very little improvement. And then suddenly you improve a good amount and you're suddenly feeling great because, oh, look, I'm running so much better than I was just a couple of weeks ago. I feel fantastic. And then you sort of plateau again and you... and and now it's good because you're at a new level. You're you're able to maintain it, but if you want to get to the next level, you have to figure out some new way to improve that feedback loop, to increase the quality, to to increase the the output of every day's workout in order to sort of start a new law, a new cycle that's going to get you to your next leap. Yeah, I like that. I like those examples in the book, and I like that. I know it's not like compounding interest, like you were just saying, but you can kind of compare it to how compounding interest works where you just save a little bit in the beginning, it doesn't make big of a difference, but then it's little, 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 and then boom, you're exploding. Um, at least, you know, for the, for the beginning stages, comparing it to that. And I think uh, it's great that you put that into the book because a lot of, as you mentioned, readers of the book are at the age where we should know about compounding interest. So I really, really like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is, is if, if one reader reads the book and takes the little example of the money and says, oh, I'm going to follow that, that might be the most profitable thing they can do out of the book, right? Is <laughs> just start a cycle of compounding interest with their money. But yeah. I was going to just say really quickly that when, when this was first explained to me, they were saying, look, running is just like this. It, this is how improvement happens. It's the same thing. And I, I struggled because I said, no, it's not because I'm going to just keep improving to the point that I run the world record in the in the mile, you know, like in, you know, three days after I get my PR. It it money's different. And then and that, that's where I think where I think if I have any contribution to it, it's like really thinking through the way our short-term potential works with this idea of sort of compounding benefits out of our out of our training feedback loop. That makes complete sense to me. And I agree with you. And hopefully people that did not know about compounding interest now know about it. And hey, have you to thank for this. Let's move on to your hidden training plan. So the concept in your book is called the hidden training plan, which quote, everything you really need to be successful is the hidden training plan. So can you tell us what this hidden training plan is and what it includes? 
Sure. So I want to start by saying the formal training plan is what most people think about when they talk about their training plan. And that is what their coach has uh, tells them to do. It's your, you know, it's your workout schedule. It's maybe some, maybe it's how you stretch. It's, it's, it's your recovery work. It's, uh, it might include some of the things around your diet and, and, and some other stuff that you do, but it's basically the guidance that you're receiving from your coach and that you're following. Now that is the formal training plan. A formal training program, I call it. Now, the hidden training program is, I define it very simply as everything you really need to do to be successful. And the reality is, if you just follow a training plan, you can be successful. But the best people out there, the people who are really trying to achieve their goals, are going a little bit beyond and they're doing more. And sometimes that means getting better sleep. Sometimes that means eating better. It's, it's these other aspects of our lifestyle. It's who we spend our time with. These are very general. They apply to all of us in different ways, but it can also be the subtle things that you yourself need to overcome in order to get the most out of yourself. Some of us might have confidence issues. We might have health issues we need to deal with. We might have very unique issues that, are, that, only, that only we face, like maybe financial issues. That uh, These are things that are part of our hidden training program because if we really want to get the most out of ourselves, we might have to address them. We might have to actually think about them and create a plan for these two. Okay. So you were mentioning this includes getting better sleep, getting better workout. And I mean, there's so much because your whole book is basically about what your hidden training program is. So I wanted to mention a few ideas or definitions that our readers would be able to find in your book. And uh, maybe you want to address some of these or simply tell us how you came up with those, because I know that your hidden training program includes, you know, sleeping and eating and all that stuff that we have to pay attention to. But just having a, ba a basic understanding of what's important and those key definitions is probably really important as well. Yeah, I mean... So the hidden training program, I like that you identify the hidden training program as a sort of a core theme of the book because it is like a small part of chapter two or three, uh, I think three, but it also kind of is the definition of what I'm trying to create with the book. I'm trying to, the book is basically an effort to op open up and, and show the hidden training program to, uh, to, a, new, to a runner, right? To, to make them see their training differently. Uh, and from a different perspective. So I just love that you identified that, even though I don't frame it in the book as such. Um, now, I'll start with one of the ones that I just, that, that really applied to me. And that is um, ability is not talent. Ab ability is talent molded by effort over time. We often look at somebody and we, well, we use these words, ability and talent interchangeably. We often say, oh, he's, you know, he's so talented when you see a, a good runner. And, and especially for other things, let's say even go beyond running. Somebody gets up and gives a speech and you're like, oh, he's such a talented speaker. What we don't know is like, did he, was he just born giving those speeches or did he spend, you know, hours and hours and hours refining his speech so that he looks like an amazing speaker? And I think it's dangerous to use these words interchangeably because talent has a very specific meaning. It's something innate that we can't change. But ability is what, you're, what you can actually do today. And so your ability is something that effort absolutely can improve. And the longer you spend time applying effort, the, the higher your ability can become. So I think of something like this as a very simple framework. It starts with how the language we use and the, the, the words we choose to speak about 
but it also it, it highlights that what we're not we're not we shouldn't be focused on what our talent is. We should be focused on what our ability is, and our ability is uh, is is what we're being measured by ultimately. And it's the and it's something that we can change and we can influence with our effort. So let's talk about some other ideas or concepts that you have in your book. I'm going to quote you. You also said the difference between an expert and a beginner isn't the ability to compete complete the workout, but rather the ability to get the most out of it. Yes. So um, we see this a lot in running. Like somebody might be a pretty talented runner and they can actually, you know, uh, do a workout that maybe somebody who's a more experienced runner can't do because they, they just have a physical talent for running and they can do it. But the experts uh, are really not experts because they can just do something. They're experts because they understand exactly what needs to be done in order to get the result that they're looking for. And um, it's a little bit more, a little bit harder to put this in context in running, right? But I would say that somebody who's a three-hour marathoner, who is an expert marathoner, will go out and run that three-hour marathon and really execute really well. They will do all the steps right, and they will nail it, and they will run the three hours. Even though they might not be the first place runner, we might look at the person who wins and say, oh, look at that guy. He's, he's the best runner. But that three-hour marathoner who approached the marathon with the mindset of doing everything exactly right and executed on it and really practiced to it and, and has that experience, they are just as much an expert, even if they don't have the ability that maybe the top runner does. And I think it's a really important framework in anything we're doing to, to not just think about completing a workout or completing a task. It's about understanding what you, we want to get out of that task and then how to do it in the best way possible. And experts... I think that's a good way to define an expert is somebody who can know what to do and actually execute on it effectively. That makes a lot of sense. Another quote that I have from your book is you said that self-efficacy is the belief that you can accomplish something based on the effort you put in. And you made a big distinction comparing it to self-esteem. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and how that applies to running? Yes. So self-esteem is to be very general, kind of how we think about ourselves, like our self-worth. Are we a good person? Do we, do we belong? This is, it, it has a lot of, about how we feel about ourselves. And self-efficacy is different. And efficacy comes from the root word for effort. And it's, it's our belief in the results we can achieve if we apply ourselves, if we, if we put in the effort. And so self-efficacy is really a defining quality to your ability to be successful. Because if you believe you can be successful, then you, you will be more willing to put in work. If you have high self-esteem, it doesn't really affect whether or not you're going to be successful because, to be honest, if you have really high self-esteem, being successful may, might not matter that much to you because you already feel really good about yourself. So I really think self-efficacy is one, the one to focus on. And I don't know if I want to go into it here because it takes longer, but the chapter on self-efficacy really outlines very specific strategies you can use to boost your self-efficacy um, that, that I think are open to all of us all the time. It, once, once you read them and understand them, it becomes very obvious how you can identify them and find those examples in your own training as well. All right. And so you also mentioned persistence. Persistence is the ability to continue in the face of adversity and failure without giving up. Can you elaborate on persistence a little bit? 
persistence um, is a defining characteristic of people who achieve excellence. And it's not just working hard. It's, it's working hard in the face of adversity and, and finding strategies that work. And the more you do that, the more it creates a uh, sort of a self it creates a feedback loop of you believing you can do it next time. And you, you believe you can always overcome the next obstacle and the best, the best performers um, cultivate this belief by overcoming obstacles and sticking with what they're doing. Perfect. And I'm glad you mentioned the feedback loop, which is what we just talked about. But then after that, you give some tips on, you give some tips on how engagement is what happens when passion meets motivation. So Besides the factors of the hidden training program, which we've mentioned sleep and food and how you think about your training, another really important aspect of it is how to engage or to stay engaged. Can you talk about um, tips or first of all, what engagement is in your running and then how we can do better? Yes. Yeah, so I would say for me, and just to put in context, engagement is almost like the number one thing I think every athlete needs to focus on. And, and, you know, you'll read this for yourself and you'll decide, you might find that you're fully engaged and you don't need to improve there. But this is where I, I usually recommend people start is thinking about their engagement. So I, I say I have a back of the envelope definition, which is like, it's not really a formal de definition, but it's engagement is what happens when passion meets motivation. The way we engage is going to be influenced by either our motivation or our passion. So our motivation is our desire to achieve a goal, to, to get to a, a future result. And our passion is how much we enjoy doing something. So in running, of course, the great example would be, I just love running. And so I go out every day and I run. But there's also people who uh, maybe don't love running as much, but they just want to be the best that they can be in this, in this, uh, at a certain distance, let's say. They might be more motivated than passionate. When you're motivated and passionate, it creates a desire in you to do really positive activities, right? It, it creates this desire in you to put more effort in. And the more effort you put in, the more you can get out of your training. And I, I really think this is important because engagement is what really unlocks the hidden training program for us. If you like to get, put an example, when I was in college and part of what I had to change I was going to practice every day. I was doing the workouts the coach told me. I was running hard. I was improving slowly. But when I went home, I didn't think about running. I didn't know what was going on by the professional runners. I didn't pay attention really to what was going on in the other schools with the other com competitors. I didn't uh, read books about running. I didn't... I just... Running was something I did at practice. And then I just lived a different life. And what happened for me is I... I, I sort of uh, learned, I guess, about the concept of engagement and how important it is. And I started to consciously apply myself a little more to try to find ways to engage. So I started to read more books about running. I started to pay attention to the professionals. I started to learn about training programs and different things. I started to talk to my coaches more and ask more questions and try to understand a little more what I was doing. And the more I did that, the more I started to make connections between what I was doing that worked and what I was doing that didn't work or, or how I could change one thing here. And it might, it might improve what I'm doing uh, the next day if I you know, sleep better or if I do better with my diet or all these different things. The reality was it, it started with me caring. And, and part of caring 
is either being motivated to get something at the end or being passionate about what you're doing. And so any activity that sort of boosts your passion or your motivation, that if you apply it, it's it's going to provide some sort of benefits to your training. That makes complete sense to me, that concept, because it's kind of like learning a language, right? What's the best way of learning a language? Moving to a place where you speak that language. So there's basically yes. no other option. You If you're trying to speak Spanish, you move to Costa Rica, you surround yourself by television, people, schooling, and any other activities. If you want to go surfing in Costa Rica, your surf instructor speaks Spanish. And so by only having Spanish in your life, you care about the language, but also make it part of your life. There is no other way but to improve your Spanish. Letty, I love this example because this is this is my go-to example for why these concepts apply outside of running. Is that I studied Spanish in high school and I basically barely passed. I did not learn much Spanish. Um, I studied Greek in university because I thought I was gonna. I was studying philosophy. I thought it'd be good, and I barely passed. And the reality was, I was not really working as hard as I should have been. I didn't have good strategies. I didn't. I didn't apply myself in the best way. What, what I thought was, I'm not good at learning languages, right? I literally told myself, well, I'm a good runner, but I'm just not good at learning languages. I'm, that's just the way my talents are. But I went, after graduating, I moved to Japan. And Japanese is a way harder language than Spanish, especially right. if you're an English speaker. <laughs> and I moved to Japan. But at the time, I had, I had gone through this transition with my running where I, I, I really embraced this idea that if I engage and if I have the right attitude about my ability and if I, have, if I, if I look for and understand the hidden, hidden training program, or we'll call it like a learning program for language, right? Or if I, if, I, if I do these same concepts that I wrote about in the book, I can learn the language. And you know, I was in Japan, so it made it much easier. But that's part of the challenge is if you really want to be successful, find a way to immerse yourself, right? That is, the, that is the secret to learning a language. And it's also, honestly, it's kind of the secret to running and it's the secret to being a good musician. And it's the secret to almost anything is immersing yourself in it, engaging in what you're doing and, and like going all in. That is so true. And I love how your book is just full of these certain concepts or quotes that you write. And then there's so much more to them. Just I wanted to address some sentences that stuck out to me. So maybe you can tell sure. our listeners what they mean. So I have one quote, our expectations guide how we train. As dedicated runners, we put into We put in countless hours of hard work. We can't let our expectations limit our potential. We need a mental frame that ensures our expectations are guiding us towards excellence. So this one, it's right in the beginning. I know where that quote is. And, and the reality of so much of what we do is that we limit ourselves or we don't limit ourselves depending on how we think about what we're able to achieve. There are a lot of runners out there who either maybe they don't define themselves as a runner or they don't think of themselves as being very talented or they um or they maybe are just you know sort of deciding that beforehand that they're probably not going to be able to achieve their goal because of all the reasons why they might not and and as we those expectations those have a really profound impact on on how we do our work and how we train and how we um and the the quality of the effort that we put into our training 
And I will also say the expectations don't just come from us, right? Expectations come from other people. The people you surround you with can either be boosting and raising your expectations or they can be lowering them. And, the, and a lot of this is the way we process the information that's coming into our, our environment or into our brains. The way we process that dictates what kind of expectations we set. And so if we have frameworks that tell us, for example, that you know our performance is, is going to be dictated by our, our talent, not so much by our effort, then we will judge our talent and we will train accordingly. Whereas if we really believe that effort is the key driving factor, we may be much more inclined to find ways to work better and harder in order to achieve our goals. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it goes hand in hand with the other concept that you were mentioning in your book, um, the idea of our brain as a prediction factory. Yes. So this is my, I, I like to use these kind of ideas. I, they're, they're, I guess they're loosely called mental models where, you know, we know how a factory works and very generally a factory, you know, there's a bunch of inputs come in and you have some sort of process and machinery inside of it that, that manipulates these inputs and then out comes a new product, right? And that's the way our brain works with information. Uh, the information comes in, our brain processes it in some way, and it, creates an expectation. Maybe sometimes we call those things like predictions. Like it makes a prediction about the future, but often it just sort of um, just sort of makes a subtle subconscious expectation about what to think. So you might look outside, you see that it's sunny, and your brain processes what you see and it thinks, oh, today's going to be a good day. That's a really simple one. But another one might be, you know, you see somebody one that you're trying to compete against run a good time. And now you start processing and thinking, oh, if he did that, that means I'm way behind. And now uh, maybe I'm not going to be able to beat him in the championship race. You know, you can, you can imagine how this can get really complicated or really simple in different ways. But when we understand that our brain is doing this constantly, and this is just the reality we live in, our, we can't stop it. Our brains are always going to do this. Then the real question becomes, how do we do it as good as possible? And I think the way we do it as good as possible is by improving the, the frameworks that we, that we use to manipulate the information. Obviously, we do things like getting better sleep, getting more, better diet, better nutrition. Those can actually improve our brain's functioning and the way it, it processes information. And, and the more we understand this process and the way, we, uh, are, the way it's working for us, the the better we can sort of manipulate it to get to get better, more productive results. That makes a lot of sense. And especially I like your examples that you just gave us. So I want to mention one last quote um, that I'd like our listeners to know about. So you wrote, telling others about your goals turns them into commitments. And in light of everybody now being online, everybody having a social media account that is dedicated to their running because we're into it. Can you perhaps talk about how that works? Yes, sure. So I, um, I sort of look at these, there's this, like multiple levels of, of how to get committed and, and, and the way I think about goals. We often have some idea of what we want to achieve. And ideas, if it's still in your head, it's kind of it's the weakest form of a goal is some idea of what you want to achieve. It doesn't mean it's weak in general. You you might care so much and never tell anyone and still be able to achieve it. I just in general, it it's it's the weakest place is if it's just in your head and and it's never been said aloud. The second thing is uh, and I don't even know if I put this in the book exactly. I have to think about it, but is saying your goal out loud so that you yourself can hear. It. 
Because there's a fundamental change that happens when you hear your own voice and you hear it through your ears what your goal is. You understand things differently when you hear them than when you think them. You hear something, it literally is more meaningful and becomes more um, tangible to you when you hear it. So if you have a goal, keeping it in your head is sort of the weakest form. Keeping it, saying it out loud makes it a little bit stronger, a little more tangible. Writing it down, now that makes it kind of concrete. It's something that exists in the world. You can look at it and you can stare at it and you can see it. It's a, it's a real thing. Telling someone else, now you've brought the idea of the relationship and this person's expectations onto you. So if you say to you, this other person, my goal is to break three hours in the marathon, that person now knows that that goal exists and you both know that it exists. And now you have set this expectation that you have to live up to at least attempting in good faith to achieve that goal. And the act of sharing your goals with someone else is a very powerful way to to trick your own mind into caring more and working harder to achieve them. Especially if it's uh, shared with thousands of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with social media too. You know, it's, you can use it for something good or you can have it affect you differently. In social media, if, if you've got a little community of people who support you, that could work, right? Those people, it's, it's about the feedback and it's about the encouragement and it's about knowing that they're paying attention. Because when you know someone's paying attention to your behavior, you behave better. Very true. And uh, I think it's a good timing right now to talk about this anyway, because fall marathons are coming up and people are starting their training. So, you know, it's, it's good to have your book and being able to implement these things that we learn from it into our training, which basically starts right now. So yeah, no problem. Thank you again, Letty. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Brian. So Ryan, what did you think? I love hearing about how people come up with their ideas and follow their passions or I've always liked the, the backstory on how things happen. And so it's fun to hear. You find it interesting that his audience of 19, 20 year olds weren't reached as much as us middle aged people who are trying to improve our running? Um, I think that's understandable because I think when you're 19 or 20, you kind of have maybe a different mindset a lot of times. The way, the way different generations obtain information kind of changes slightly over time. So, yeah. <laughs> I also feel like that at that age, 19, 20, we kind of think we know it all. And I feel like we question stuff more when we're in our, you know, 30s. We're more open to learning stuff that we don't know. Whereas I know when I was 20 years old, you didn't know me then, but Ryan, I knew everything. <laughs> Aren't you glad you didn't know me then? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> so if you are interested in this book, and want to learn more about it, you can head to our website, www.runningpodcast.us and click on discounts. And there you can order your own copy of the book and workbook if you desire so at a 15% off. And with that, we also get a small cut, which will help us grow our podcast. 
So with that, our episode has come to an end. If you've been listening to our show, now is a good time to maybe leave us a good review. We put a ton of effort into our podcast and provide you guys with hopefully quality content. So please help us help other runners discover us and benefit from this by leaving this review. So until next time, have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.